Hey, Seattle Nice listeners, before we get started, a word from this week's sponsor, the You Know Me Now podcast. It's a podcast about homelessness created by Tomas Biernatsky and Rex Holbein. And we've actually got Rex with us this week for just a minute. And Rex, I just wanted to ask you why you decided to call it the You Know Me Now podcast. What Tomas and I are doing is really trying to center on humanizing of the issue. We feel like that's the missing piece when it comes to getting community involved. And and quite frankly, we also believe that getting community involved is the answer to addressing and ending homelessness. Um, it's the missing link. So You Know Me Now is just a nod towards the fact that we all have to get to know each other. And we also have to get to know um, people that are struggling through homelessness. Without that, I don't think we can adequately address the issue of homelessness. We can't just treat it like a statistic. It's never going to get us there. That's Rex Holbein, the You Know Me Now podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to advertise on Seattle Nice, you can reach us at Real Seattle Nice. That's Real Seattle Nice at Gmail. You can also find all of this information in our show notes. All right, on to the show. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Seattle Nice. Please tell your friends about this podcast because we have esteemed podcaster, Seattle's only writer, the editor of what I say, Seattle's only writer, Seattle's only reporter, and the editor of Publicola, Erica C. Barnett. Erica, thanks for joining us. <laughs> thanks, David. Wow, you are punchy. We're recording at night, and I, I like this energy. Yeah, He's and drunk. And, also, He's drunk again. I'm drunk on LaCroix again. It's terrible. Talking about, I mean, it's another emergency podcast uh, because it's an election week. Uh, are you feeling the urgency, Sandeep Kaushik, political consultant Sandeep Kaushik? I'm always urgent. Urgent. You're always urgent. Yeah. Having to go to the bathroom doesn't count. Okay. Yeah. We're talking, of course, about the King County Crisis Care Centers levy. This is a levy that, among other things, would build five new crisis care centers. Don't worry at all if you don't know what that is. Erica and Sandeep are here to explain what this crisis care centers levy will do and what it won't do. So, you know, put on your headphones, go for a walk, you know, make dinner, wherever you're getting your podcasts, we are coming to you, making it easier for you to sort of digest the news, support it now at Patreon. It's Seattle Nice at Patreon. Uh, Erica, first question to you, the basics, five new crisis care centers. What's a crisis care center? Why do we need them? You know, just the basics. What's going on? Yeah, a crisis care center is essentially a, a walk-in center or a drop-off center where people can go when they're in crisis without needing insurance, without needing a referral from a doctor. And this is, you know, people who are experiencing a mental health crisis or a substance use crisis. And these are 23-hour centers. And I do not know exactly why they can't be 24-hour, but I'm assuming that there is a legal requirement. So it's a place for somebody to go and stabilize and potentially then kind of enter into longer-term care, 14-day care, or longer-term behavioral health care off-site. So the idea is to locate five of these across King County in five different sort of sub-areas of King County, including one in Seattle. And there would be one that is just for people who are under 19, so youth and young adults, essentially. What's the profile of somebody who would go here as opposed to somewhere else? 
I mean, I think there's a lot of entry points for people that that they're anticipating, you know, so on one end of the spectrum, it could be police, first responders, dropping somebody off here instead of taking them, you know, in Seattle, it would be to Harborview and putting them, you know, in the psych ward or in a general bed or putting them in jail, which happens, you know, with too much frequency. The other end would be, you know, people walking in voluntarily. Kids are allowed to uh, admit themselves, but of course, parents can also admit kids to the youth center, you know, and then people being brought in, you know, by family, loved ones, you know, and everything in between. It's essentially people who are in crisis need immediate care, people who are suicidal, people who just need to be somewhere right away. I mean, and the idea is that this would be that place. Sandeep, it looks like it's going to pass. It does look like it's going to pass. Yeah, it's definitely going to pass. As a, as a matter of fact, we got our, our second vote count today. It's winning comfortably, but not overwhelmingly in King County. I do think there's some sticker shocker on this thing. It's a $1.25 billion levy. So that's real money, even countywide. And I think that generated some opposition to it. But I think at the end of the day, I think there's a pretty broad understanding that our behavioral health crisis response system is almost completely overwhelmed currently. The number of psychiatric beds in the county has dropped significantly. There's been a lot more people facing mental health challenges coming out of the COVID era. And while this is far from being a panacea that's going to solve every problem, I think there's a strong public support for the idea that we need to do more to help those who are facing mental health crisis. And that drove public willingness to support this measure. And and we should say it's not just crisis, the crisis centers themselves that are in the measure. That's kind of the primary thing. But there's also um, an increase, as Sandeep said. 100 beds. Yeah, so there's, as of last year, King County had 244 mental health residential beds for the whole county. So this would increase that back up a little bit. I mean, it also is aimed at improving behavioral health care providers' wages. So, you know, I would say in the county, we're kind of doing a piecemeal approach to improve Improving, you know, each sort of underpaid healthcare sector and, and human service care sector, improving their wages like bit by bit and piecemeal. And this this would essentially help behavioral healthcare workers make better wages in theory. And and a lot of the still, you know, the sort of implementation plan of this all still has to be worked out. Yeah, just a little bit on the politics. I was out talking to voters. Uh, this one family down in Renton saying their reasons for voting against it is the stuff that you were mentioning, Sandeep, uh, tax, not tax fatigue, because apparently you don't like that phrase, but um, sticker shock. I don't know if it was sticker shock. It's their own sticker shock. They're just feeling a little stressed, a little overwhelmed right now. And they just were like, you know, we care for people, but we just don't want to vote for this because of our tax concerns. But you're saying overall in King County, you think this is going to pass and that that's not that big of an issue. Why is that? It's definitely going to pass. And again, it's on one level, as I said before, I think there's just an understanding that this is needed and necessary and that we have a real problem related to behavioral health and our crisis response system. And so people are get that there's a problem, right? Successful initiatives and med ballot measures solve a problem that the public perceives to exist, or at least appears to solve a problem. And I think they see a problem here that needs needs solving. As I said, I don't think this is the entire answer, but it's something, right? So they're voting for it on that level. But I also think there's a broader conversation here, which is the evolution of Seattle and King County. I remember when I moved here more than 20 years ago, right? There was this kind of fear that was being articulated all the time that, oh no, 
we've got to stop and we, we can't evolve into San Francisco, right? That's the great fear. Like, oh my God, what if Seattle turns into San Francisco? I think that is gone, right? That that sentiment. And we are evolving into a high income, high services, high taxes kind of municipality or region, right? The way San Francisco is, right? And so what we're seeing with these levies is that the old kind of restraint is gone, right? The idea now is to go big with these levies, right? We got a big problem with behavioral health. Let's do a $1.25 billion levy. Look at what's happening with the housing levy in Seattle right now. I did the last housing levy campaign seven years ago. That was double the the levy we're replacing. But this proposal, $930 million, is triple the levy that it's replacing, right? So there is, I think, a kind of sense that our taxes and our public sector side spending is increasing quite a bit. Some people feel pinched by that, but overall, I think, there's general public support for a more robust kind of system of of services across the board. And so these levies tend to pass. So Sandeep, you were saying that that you think that we're we're kind of unrestrained now in what we're willing to pass in the city and that we're sort of high tax region. But I would say, I mean, two things. Right now, as we're talking, the the levy is only passing by about 55%, a little bit less, which is low for a levy in in King County, um, certainly in the city of Seattle, but also in King County. Levies have failed in King County in the past for transportation, but it's pretty rare. So the second thing is, you know, First of all, the housing levy uh, proposal, you know, they, they did use some caution, I would say. I mean, I think that initially they were talking about well over a billion dollars. And I mean, although it is, yes, a tripling of the levy, that is a big increase, you know, in, in terms of what it'll actually build. It's just a tiny increase. And that actually, that, that brings me to, you know, the other levy that's on the ballot this year, which is the Veterans and Seniors and Human Services Levy, also a King County wide levy. And this week, the uh, Regional Policy Committee, which is a county committee, it's not just elected officials, it's uh, a whole bunch of different people from across the county. They decided to put off a vote on whether to increase the size of the veterans levy from 10 cents per thousand dollars to 12 to wait and see what happened with this crisis center's levy. If it failed, I think that would have been a really clear sign to, to the people on that committee. Let's not do anything too aggressive. Let's just do a flat renewal, which essentially means they'll only be able to build about half as much. So, you know, it is it is a real decrease in what they'll be able to accomplish with that levy. But I mean, the biggest increase they're really talking about is two cents per thousand dollars. And I don't think that's necessarily going to pass either. Um, it's probably just going to be a flat renewal. So I think there is a lot of caution at the county level about like, what are voters willing to pay for? And for the veterans levy, I mean, that just, you know, that pays for a whole lot of things. It's not a capital project like this, this five crisis centers levy. And so people should really be paying a lot more attention to that levy <laughs> right now, because it's going to be on the ballot later this year. And, uh, you know, its ability to accomplish much in terms of human services is going to depend on whether it's increased a little bit or not. Right. And, and remember, this one we're talking about here, the behavioral health crisis response thing, is a completely new levy. And new and it's starting out big. You know, I, I look forward to a tripling and <laughs> whatever, like, like, you know, a few years down the road. But um, look, I, I, I think you're putting your finger on something, which is that at the individual level, there is significant economic anxiety out there. We have gone through a pretty long period of growth and economic gain and rise in Seattle and King County. The economy still, in many ways, fundamentally seems pretty strong, but we've gone through a period of high inflation. It's easing a little bit now, though it's still relatively high. 
And there was just some polling that the chamber put out their semi-annual uh, index poll that where they asked voters about how economically secure they were feeling. And two thirds of voters in the city of Seattle were expressing some sense of economic insecurity or concern about their own personal economic state. I do think it's probably prudent for the folks doing levies going forward to to think about that. Look, if the economy actually tips into recession, like say in the next few months, we had some kind of stock market crash and stuff, I could see the vets levy failing, right? I It's harder to imagine in Seattle that a levy will fail, but you know, stranger things have happened. It, people tend to vote for, you know, significant tax increases when they're feeling comfortable about their own circumstances. If that starts to get more wobbly, you could see a retrenchment happen. So, you know, I think that that, that is an alarming prospect. I mean, the, the last veterans levy passed by a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's it's got a good name. It's got good branding. It's veterans and seniors. And and also, by the way, human services, which was um, added on at some point during the last levy renewal. But if this thing didn't pass, and even if it passes, you know, at a flat rate, I mean, the consequences are going to be felt. I mean, it's going to build less affordable housing. It's going to be able to maintain and support less permanent supportive housing that currently exists and in the future. I mean, everything costs more, and particularly housing construction. I mean, maybe that could work against it because people are, you know, going to look at it and say, well, this doesn't really accomplish much. But I, I think it's an argument for a bigger human services levy because it is it is such a, a vital part of, you know, our local human services system. Back to the uh, crisis care centers levy. I know that it does some things, but there's things that it doesn't do, right? Yeah. This, this, you said it's not a panacea. What did you mean by that, Sandeep? And, and then Erica, same question. Yeah. So as Erica mentioned at the outset here, this is, this is going to create, along with the 100 beds that are sorely needed, psych beds, it's going to create these five kind of, kind of crisis centers that are, you know, either walk-in centers or, you know, there's going to be an opportunity for police and first responders when they're dealing with somebody who think is better served with an immediate kind of mental health response or because they're suffering from some kind of immediate addiction-related issue, they can be diverted to these centers, right, rather than going to, say, the King County Jail. You know, but what it doesn't do is solve even remotely the entirety of the crisis that our crisis response system is facing. So let me give you an example, like prior to COVID, say somebody's have in the midst of a complete mental health crisis and you call 911, usually they, the response would be that there would be a, a crisis response team that would be sent out to kind of assess the person often They'd be taken over to Harborview, you know, if they're in the midst of a, of a serious mental health crisis and need to be stabilized, they'd be taken to Harborview and, and treated there on a short-term basis. And that crisis response would typically happen within a few hours of the call coming in. Now, at, at places like in DSC facilities, the average wait time for a crisis response is Days, in fact, not even days, weeks. Um, I think on average, eleven days, sometimes more, two weeks or more. So essentially, you call when you're dealing with somebody in the midst of a complete, you know, psychotic break, and there's no response. There's nobody there to help you. They're not coming out, and there's a lack of 
of capacity in the mobile crisis response system. There's also a lack of, of spaces and beds for things like the the DSC's crisis response center, which is the closest thing to what this levy just passed. But that's for kind of more acute sorts of cases, right? And there's still a woefully inadequate supply of spaces, either short-term or long-term, to deal with some of the most serious kind of mental health crisis break kind of situations that are happening. This stuff is really good that this levy is going to fund. First of all, it's going to take a while to get this all set up. But once it is set up, it will be helpful. But it by no means solves the problem that that our uh, crisis response system is facing. Sandeep used the word, you know, it's not a panacea kind of, you know, so 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 this is kind of an amazing step forward in some ways. But but what do you see or folks that you interview in your reporting? What do they see, you know, that that's still the kind of unmet need here? I haven't reported a ton on this, so I can't like give you like a man on the street kind of response. But but I can say that uh, this is these are crisis centers throughout the county. So Seattle is only going to get one. So I think that the, the the scale of the problem versus, as Sandeep said, versus, you know, the size of the response. We don't know exactly how many beds are going to be at each of these, but, you know, it's going to be in the dozens, not um, in the hundreds. And so we should have realistic expectations about this. I also think that, you know, like with the uh, safe consumption sites for drugs that were proposed in 2015, we talked about this last week, you know, uh, citing these these facilities may turn out to be tricky. I mean, there's lots of cities around uh, the county that, you know, are doing things like effectively banning homelessness and banning treatment facilities. I mean, in Linwood, there's a huge fight um, north of Seattle about a treatment facility up there. And these are these are the things that, you know, people who are like sweep them all, get them off the streets. I don't want to see people using drugs. They all say that they want treatment. But when it's treatment, much less in their backyard, even in their part of the county, you know, it tends to provoke a lot of resistance. So I think that there will be battles that we have not really even begun to contemplate or discuss yet about the placement of these crises centers, in addition to, you know, the placement of the actual, you know, longer term treatment beds. So um, that's just that's just kind of a cautionary note. You know, it's a capital project. Capital projects are really, really expensive. And so, you know, you might look at it and say this is more than a billion dollars. It's going to you know, it's going to have this huge impact. And it may. I mean, these are, you know, high turnover facilities. You know, it could help a whole heck of a lot of people. But they're also just facilities. And it's not going to be enough to address, you know, everybody who is in a crisis literally right this moment on the streets of just downtown Seattle, you know, much less the rest of Seattle, much less the rest of the county. The Jamestown Sklalem tribe, you know, out in the Olympic Peninsula faced, you know, similar complaints. Like anytime any kind of facility gets built, they're in the process of building, I think it's a drug treatment facility, but it's like, you know, Seattle's going to be shipping all their, their druggies out here <laughs> as if there's no local drug problem on the peninsula or behavioral or mental health issues up in Linwood, right? Like, yeah. It just seems like that happens every time we're going to see it again. I actually think the Linwood situation is is instructive, and Erica's right to cite it. Like, look, look, it was eight days ago. Basically, a new methadone clinic opened in Linwood, and apparently there used to be one there before that operated fine, but there's a complete public freakout. And so last week, the Linwood City Council voted overwhelmingly to create a quote-unquote temporary moratorium on any new applications for methadone or, or, you know, drug treatment clinics, which I totally agree with Erica. That's like a 
you know, a huge problem and a step in the wrong direction. You know, like we need more treatment, not less. And, and David, to your point, yeah, it's not like fentanyl or meth or whatever are solely a Seattle problem anymore. Go to Tacoma or go to Linwood or go to Everett or go to, you know, wherever, uh, go to South King County, Kent, and you will see the visible fallout from, uh, from addiction. Right. In in all of those communities. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a widespread problem that merits a coordinated regional response. Right. Which is what people have been saying for a while. But that's easier said than done. And there, I think there's a lot of fear out in the suburbs that what that means is we're going to import Seattle's problems to the suburbs. And, you know, members of the public freak out about that and, are, and, and act kind of irrationally in many cases. So The Stranger had an article about this uh, that you flagged, I think, Erica, very sort of Foucauldian in its um, analysis, <laughs> suggesting that the reinstitutionalization of folks dealing with mental health and behavioral issues was, you know, a, a form of incarceration. And it's interesting because I know that Dow Constantine, in kind of talking about the need for this, talked about the idea of the fact that um, the old archaic asylums, you know, that that ended up closing in the 70s and 80s actually needed to be replaced with something. Of course, these are going to be modern crisis care centers, something completely different, but not according to The Stranger. So what do you all think about that? Yeah, well, that was an op-ed. Um, the Stranger did endorse this, you know, officially, so I want to be fair to them. But yeah, I mean, the idea that treatment, you know, whether voluntary or involuntary is is bad because you're, you know, locking people up who would really be fine if they had communities of care surrounding them in a wonderful, perfect society. And, you know, and, and wouldn't that all be great? I mean, like, as someone who has, you know, has been in a crisis-type uh, facility voluntarily myself, I think that is a ridiculous notion. I think that, you know, asking someone with schizophrenia or in the midst of suicidal depression or in the throes of addiction, as I was, to change themselves on their own and to get over whatever trauma caused their schizophrenia or their addiction is going to result in a lot of dead people. You know, and frankly, I don't believe in involuntarily throwing people in jail and telling them they have to accept treatment. But I do think that in some cases, involuntary treatment saves lives. So I, I, I found that whole thing, you know, what I, I, I didn't go to read like you guys. So, you know, I don't know from Foucaultian. Um, I went to a state school. Thank you very much. That was a very, very generous description, David, of the, you know, intellectual heft. of. of I do think there are, you know, legitimate debates about involuntary treatment and when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate. Yeah. Right. But. But I just think to say that um, allowing involuntary treatment in our society, which we do, we, we've all agreed, I mean, we haven't all agreed, but we've agreed to that, is a, a reason to, you know, oppose this entire levy, I mean, was frankly pretty stupid. Um, and also, if you actually believe that, it is a harmful thing to believe. I'm not convinced it wasn't performance art. Sandeep, I'm, I believe your nickname in college was, in fact, it was Sandeep Michel Foucault. Kaushik, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, please. Dude, I'm, I, as, as I have said on this podcast before, Max Weber was my main man, right? <laughs> so don't pull that Foucault shit on me, man. Weber, Weber's the man. Look, <laughs> I, I was like laughing out loud. Like, I, I had somehow missed that when it came out in The Stranger like last week or whenever it was. And so when Erica, you sent it to us, 
the other day. It was kind of ludicrous, laughably ludicrous. It was it was almost kind of kind of a, a parody of itself, right? As a as a sort of statement, the idea that some people in the midst of a mental health crisis, the idea that 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 people aren't at times too impaired to be able to make rational judgments about their own well-being is batshit to say, of course that's true. I mean, everybody knows it. Like when you're seeing somebody, yeah, in a delusional schizophrenic state, the idea that we should just leave them to decide for themselves what's best for them is batshit. It's batshit. <laughs> and so anyway, obviously it's a very fringy opinion. Why that was running in The Stranger, I don't know. Like, you know, but they ran it, you know. I mean, obviously it doesn't really have much of a constituency, I don't think, beyond that worldview. If anything, you know, as Erica says, there are conversations that need to have about where the lines are drawn or on things like involuntary commitment. That's a that's a big step to take with someone. Though frankly, I think I think we ought to be having a conversation about whether we should be using involuntary commitment more than we are currently. I mean, nothing bothers me more than walking down the street in Pioneer Square in the middle of winter and seeing somebody half naked or barefoot in the cold and the rain shouting in the midst of a complete kind of mental health breakdown and everybody just kind of avoiding them, but just kind of walking by and leaving them there to just kind of kind of suffer in the midst of a crisis, which, you know, happens way too often in Seattle. And that 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 kind of shit really bugs me. And for people to make the argument that it's an infringement of the autonomy of that person to try to get them help is whack. <laughs> Speaking of the 90s, I mean, I and I will say like, I mean, on a serious <laughs> note, you know, I also like, you know, have experienced as I'm sure, you know, many people listening have, you know, my, my experience personally was with addiction, but I've, I have people in my own family who have had much more serious um, mental health issues that did require uh, medical treatment. And and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that, you know, either in their families or in their, their communities. So I think that ultimately, I mean, if people really thought about this levy, as opposed to just sort of saying, ah, I don't know, it's a tax that'll do something good, I'll vote for it. I mean, I think that was probably a very compelling argument or thought process for a lot of people because they see people on the street, like Sandeep mentioned, or they actually know people in their own families that, you know, benefited from being uh, put into treatment or could benefit. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a sticky subject. And, and most of this, you know, is not intended to be involuntary, but that aspect of it, I think, you know, is one that will continue to be debated. But as far as, you know, right. getting rid of all involuntary treatment, I mean, Perhaps it's surprising, but I but I do think that we have to have involuntary treatment um, in 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 some circumstances. These five centers that they're creating are intended to be kind of voluntary, you know, walking centers. You know, someone can. I'm having suicidal thoughts. I'm going to call up and you know ask to to come down there, and I'll get the psychological help that I need. Or somebody, you know, again, like a first responder comes across someone in crisis and says, "I'm going to take you over there and." So you can get evaluated and get help. You know, that's a good thing. <laughs> I mean, I don't can't believe we're talking about this. Obvious. I mean, it's just like, duh. <laughs> like, uh, you know, yeah. Sometimes people are too impaired to make good decisions about their own well-being. Duh. All right. That's it for another edition of Seattle Nice. 
we originally thought about calling it Madness and Civilization, but decided to go for Seattle <laughs> oh Nights God. instead. You're Seems like a, a better way to oh go. God. If you like the podcast, please contribute at Patreon. You can also advertise. Check out our contact information in the show notes. And thanks, everybody, whether you're contributing or advertising or just listening. Thanks for that. Thanks for listening. 